You are listening to HHS bonus content from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Network. This bonus content is released during the week for your listening pleasure while awaiting the release of Sunday's actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. All bonus content will be listed as HHS Presents or HHS Midweek while the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episodes will have only an episode number and the title listed, for example, 187, The Kentucky Vampires. Those episodes are a longer deep dive into a particular subject. If you are new to the show and the bonuses aren't your style, get the full-length episode to try. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to episode 27 of the Midweek Episodes. Hey guys. Tonight, we've got Lee Kirkland on. And Lee is, man, he's a kind of a do-it-all kind of guy. He's paranormal investigator. He's best friends with Nick Groff. He is... A talent agent for a lot of the big names in the paranormal field. People such as Nick, because he runs the Nick Groff Tour. Mm -hmm. People such as Amy Bruni. A ton more that we can get to Seth Breedlove. Represents all these people. The monster, uh, people from Mountain Monsters. Oh, gosh, yeah. So he represents all these. He also is the host of Crypticon. Him and his wife, Jennifer, put that on. Uh, Wild Man Days in Lawrenceburg. So on and so forth. He's got a lot on his plate. He's got a lot on his plate. He kind of fills us in tonight on what happens behind the scenes at some of these big uh, conferences you go to. Okay. On what kind of money gets paid out to some of the big celebrities, how they make their money. Like we talked about before, when you see somebody that's signing a ton of pictures and they're charging $25, he's going to let you in on a little inside information that that person sitting there doesn't get all that money. Mm-hmm. They usually get, you know... A little bit of a guarantee and then the, the money that they charge for pictures is how the the con the conference that you're looking at actually makes their money back to be able to keep holding this thing and pay the guarantee to the celebrity so pretty cool but he gives us a bunch of information on some of this stuff what happens when big names cancel and all that stuff oh. beforehand though we're going to talk about buckskin joe <laughs> i like that name what if i told you that's a city Oh, <laughs> I would never have known that. <laughs> so Buckskin Joe was a mining town in Colorado, just west of Fair Play in the 1860s. It got its name from a miner by the name of Joseph Higginbottom. He was uh, kind of rough and scruffy looking, so everyone just kind of called him Buckskin Joe. He had a mine claim that he later sold for food and a gun, and then he left for a different mining camp. Over the next few years, several hundred prospectors came to the town, and some actually struck it pretty rich. But like most of these mining towns, eventually the mines were depleted, and the town just basically depleted itself as well. Everybody left, and it became a ghost town. Most of the buildings fell into decay or disrepair, and they had been either scavenged by people looking for um, free building materials, or they just fell apart all on their own. People saw it as a place to come get a bunch of free wood. Well, yeah. And that's what they did. It would be easy if it just fell apart. Right. In 1957, MGM decided that they were going to build an authentic movie set of these types of buildings. And they did this, but it wasn't in the same place. This was about 90 miles southeast from Buckskin. It was near a place called Royal Gorge. So they set out to find all these original buildings to bring to the set. They took the original general store from Buckskin Joe and rebuilt it on the set. And that's the only 
building that's from the original Buckskin Joe. Wow. That was on the set. Then they got buildings from several other abandoned ghost towns throughout Colorado. In between filming, they allowed visitors to come in and tour the, the set. After filming wrapped up, some investors bought the set and turned it into a theme park. They figured, hey, people like coming in and see it. Let's do something with it. They named the theme park Buckskin Joe after the original town. So the park had a staff that would give you a, a Wild West experience, such as gunfights in the streets and other entertainment like can-can dancers and uh, magicians, stuff like that. They would also do fake hangings there on the site. Oh, it's kind of like, kind of like, uh, what's that place we go to up on um, Guntown Mountain down yeah. in Mammoth Cave? Because they did the same things. It was an old old city set up. They did the gunfights in the street. They would yeah. do the fake hangings and all that stuff. And if you obviously not everybody's been to that place, but it's similar to the scene in Vacation. Yes, remember mm-hmm. when Chevy Chase was they yeah. were at the bar and he got smart with the bartender and he pulled out the gun and shot and he's like, great. Clark, the, now the children are deaf. Yep. Anyways, that's kind of what, what this place was. So as you can imagine, with all these old mining buildings coming in uh, from all over the place, some of them probably had some tragedy attached to them. Oh, well, I'm sure. So the park was only open for the summer. Uh, it's like basically that was their season because Colorado, oh. you know, gets cold gets in the wintertime. Yeah, so. of course. Hundreds of thousands of visitors a year come through there just in the summer months that they're open. They're going to lose out this year. Well, you're going to find out they were losing out anyway. Oh. <laughs> the staff reported lots of paranormal experiences, and what made the claim so believable was that being basically a, a job to where a lot of high school students and stuff like that would come in and be the actors in the city, the staff changed pretty heavily almost every year but they all had the same stories so they all said saw the same people and the same descriptions even though they weren't even there last year to be able to know what was done lights would go on and off you could hear things moving around the upstairs in the theater you would go up in the theater and you would find that things were thrown all around the room uh that that were in the right place the night before when they closed down and everybody was gone so one day, the manager at the time, a lady by the name of uh, Paula Prowl, she was driving through when something caught her eyes. She looked towards one of the buildings named the Sackett House Hotel, and she saw a lady in a blue period dress. She thought this was her boss. She said it looked like, you know, she was just watching the actors rehearse. So Paula parked the truck she was in, and she started looking for her boss, and she was told by co-workers that her boss hadn't been there all day long. What made this eerily strange and gave her goosebumps was that because at this time, she was the only female in the park. So it wasn't like she mistook another female for her boss. Oh. She was it. So there were no other females. So if she saw another female on the set, it had to be a ghost at that point. So the most haunted building on the premises is a barn that in its original life was used for public hangings. In the winter months, it's also it also used to store bodies to be buried when the ground thawed. So it, it's definitely seen its share of death. That sounds terrible. So they tore that thing down and brought it here. <laughs> At the park, however, it houses a restaurant, an ice cream parlor, and two saloons. 
One night, some of the staff were staying after closing to kind of have a drink at the Silver Dollar Saloon. Keep in mind that everyone was out of costumes and back in their regular street clothes at this point. One of the actors had his daughter with him because he apparently lived really close. She went around the corner to use the restroom. When she came back, she told her father that she saw a gunfighter. Nobody had left the group except for this little girl, and the place was closed, so there shouldn't have been anybody else in there. Why is he taking her to a bar? Well, I think it's more of like a, not a true bar. Oh. You know. Plus, it was after hours, so they were just there. There wasn't anybody there except for, yeah, they were just there by themselves. That's a good point, though. So, all the people that were there went to go check things out, and they didn't see anybody else. So, go figure. On another occasion in the ice cream parlor... Marisa Sharp, she had closed the shop. She was washing dishes with her back to the door. She looked in the mirror and saw a man walk in the door. Once again, they were closed. Shouldn't have been anybody in the park. She turned around, and a man was standing right on the other side of the room inside the door. She said he looked like a miner, and he seemed mean just by his demeanor. The more she looked at him, the meaner he got. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he looked like a miner, of course, she said. And she was really scared, but she turned back around to finish the job. She looked up a second time, and he was still there, and she told him it was time to leave the building. So he turned around and just left. And she saw him walk through a door. Not a door that was open. Ooh. Be like, <laughs> what's up, Heffa? I ain't Elvis. It ain't time to leave the building. There's another manager by the name of Vicki Casey. And she had someone call in sick to the restaurant. So she had to take over and fill in a chef. She said she was sitting there prepping the lettuce and the tomatoes. And she heard the gas grills behind her turn on. She said it's a very distinct sound because you can hear the crackle of the cold metal being yeah. heated up. She slowly turns around to see which grill had been turned on. There was nobody else in the restaurant at the time. And she just kind of saw that the grill was on, it was lit, and no clue how it could have happened. Now see, they could burn the place down. Well, we'd have to get off the stove. True. Maybe they were just trying to help, you know, preheat (laughs) the stove. Medium Lori Plowden, she believes... The barn at Buckskin Joe's may be loaded with spirits. She said the people coming into the barn when it was a hanging barn knew that they were not going to be coming back out. They were coming here to die. And she said, and then when you think about it, so that's a lot of energy, but when you think about it, those people, for the most part, they committed a crime worthy of hanging. So mm-hmm. these weren't good people either. And she said that they weren't people that were uh, actually committed the crime and they were a scapegoat or they were accused wrongly, then you had a whole different area of circumstances where they could still be handed around. She said the sadness, the anxiousness, makes for a perfect haunted location. She said that the barn really should have been burned down. That's the only way really to get rid of situations like that. But Buckskin Joe closed in 2010. Oh, really? After being open since the 1950s. So. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, but... For what it's worth, there was like a, uh, a a multimillionaire or a billionaire who bought it, and he supposedly had everything torn down and reconstructed on on or near his property just for personal use. 
I don't know what you would use a, a whole ghost town for, but that's what they said that's he did. That's what you do when you have all that money. Just I guess so. Blow it on dumb stuff or something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was the story on Buckskin Joe. Like it, like it. All right, let's listen to Lee and let's learn a little bit about the convention history. And it, and if, for those of you getting ready to listen, he actually talks about some of his paranormal experiences and stuff like that. So really cool. Hey guys, welcome back. And tonight we've got Lee Kirkland on with us. I had the pleasure of meeting Lee back at CryptidCon this past September. His wife, Jennifer, and, and himself were kind enough to invite Tracy and us out. It was a fantastic experience. We've uh, been invited back for this year, so we're excited. Lee's the co-owner of CryptidCon, obviously Creepy People Management, the Nick Groff Tour. You name it, he's got his hand in it. We're going to talk about a lot of it tonight. Lee, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So let me ask you this to start off with. CryptidCon, it was awesome. So many people there. The guys from Mountain <laughs> Monsters were there. Nick was there. It was a fun time. And uh, is it still going to be September this year? We've actually, we've pulled it back just a little bit. We're going to be August 8th and 9th this year. You know, under under the circumstances, we're hoping it's still going to happen. I think everything is going to be clear with this uh, the pandemic that's going on. But we are we're working on guests currently. I've got an amazing lineup that I'm just ready to blast out there any minute now. Fantastic! Tell me a little bit about because you are uh, the owner of the Nick Groff Tour. You you set all those dates up and everything. How cool is it working with Nick? Man, Nick is Nick is awesome. Nick is literally one of my best friends. I've known Nick for well over a decade. And one good thing about working with Nick is how much he actually loves his fans. And so when we ever go out on these uh these tour dates, man, it's an experience for the people that attend. And so it's just a, it's a good time. And, and he still actually loves it. You know, it's kind of hard finding somebody who's a television personality that does this stuff so much that actually still loves it. Nick actually, he wants to investigate. He gets a big kick out of, as do I, of, of people who come on these events, uh, on these tour dates and have their first experience. So it's just a, it's a great time. And, and Nick is great with his fans and, and he's, he's a good dude. He's very down to earth. That's the one thing I like about Nick. I know at CryptidCon, it was kind of funny. You're used to when you go to these events and the bigger names, they're like sitting at a table, just a line of people out the wazoo and they're sitting there. But Nick was like never at his table. He was wandering around <laughs> talking to everybody out on the floor. And that was just amazing to me. What's going to be even more interesting is the next time you meet him, he's going to remember the conversations you had last time. I mean, he, he really is great with his fans and he loves meeting these people. Let me ask you this real quick, because you do mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. Like I was saying, you guys set up Wild Man Days, which is which is really cool here in Kentucky. If, if anybody hadn't been to a Crypticon, you guys were part of when Scarefest first started up here in Lexington. And I know a lot of our listeners are curious about conventions. And I was talking mm-hmm. to you a little bit earlier and, and wanted to make sure I had the approval to ask some of these questions, obviously, because some of the stuff is behind the scenes. But can you tell us a little bit what goes into getting some of the celebrity guests to show up? What kind of things that you guys have to do? Because I know my question, which is what brought this up, is when I see somebody at one of these conventions and they're charging $20, $25 for a picture or an autograph or whatever the case may be, and there's a line of people, my first instinct was, man, these people are getting all this money and that seems like, you know, they're killing it this weekend. And you were telling me that it actually works different for the type of function that it is, how big it is, who the celebrity is. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into getting some of these guests and how much of that money on autographs and stuff they keep 
in in what situations like that? The biggest advice that I have that somebody who's interested in doing an event is don't expect to get rich on it because it, it is not a money-making scheme. I don't know one single person who does an event that doesn't have other jobs. And it's all, like if you break even on a first-year event, then you're doing good. They are very, very tough to do. And the second that somebody has a complaint, you have to worry about social media. I mean, it's just, it, it can turn into a nightmare real quick. But as far as the guests and stuff, you know, being involved with events for so long now and with Nick being so close to me, a lot of people knew that I knew the insights of events as far as, as booking and how they ran. And so they were trying to get Nick to come to their events and, and he would come to me like, man, what do you think? What do you think? And so I could kind of set that up for him. Once he started doing events, other people started coming to me. And, and you can see my roster at creepytalent.com. I've got just about everybody in the genre. I really do. But people can now contact me and I can help them with this stuff. I would never, ever, ever set up an event to fail. But there are some people out there working with some of these talents that will be like, well, this person needs $5,000 to show up. And you know this this event's not going to make $5,000. So you're automatically setting them up to fail. You know, and it's just, it's kind of tough for them because they always want the big names and whatnot. And one way that you can get larger names is through a guarantee of sales. And I think we kind of talked on that a little bit earlier, but if you do a guarantee of sales for an event, you've got to have the numbers of fans to come in that are going to buy autographs from these people or merchandise. Some of the larger events like Scarefest and, uh, you know, some of the Wizard World, some of the like Lexington Comic and Toy Con and all those guys, they can bring people in on guarantees because they're going to sell merchandise there. They're going to make a few grand that weekend. Some of the smaller events, the clients or, or my clients or uh, the, the celebrity guests will require like a fee um, because they're not going to make, you know, $100, $150 worth of merchandise that weekend. So there's just different ways to go about it. Some of the really, really large events like Dragon Con and the New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, those guys, they won't give these celebrity guests anything. They just say, hey, we'll give you a table, get you here and do all this. But they also have 100,000 people showing up at their events or more. So there's just there's multiple ways to get these guests in there. So it's just kind of it kind of varies on the size of the events that people want to deal with. You know, if, if you if you want to sink in tens of thousands of dollars and have a, a mid size event, a lot of times you can you can save on your guests by getting them in on guarantees. But some of the smaller hotel ballroom events, yeah, it's it they're, they're going to be paying fees to get these guys in. Like we were talking earlier, and I won't mention a name, but we were talking about a pretty big name in in the horror genre. You were saying like, for example, for that person. It's like a $60,000 guarantee, and then anything over 60000 that's made off of autographs mm-hmm. and stuff like that is, is usually like a 50-50 split. So, there it is, yeah. So um, and and th- there's a lot of those are upfront guarantees because, you know, a lot of these events, somebody, they, they're not sure they're going to make $60,000 there. And they're not sure that the promoter is going to have that sixty grand if they didn't make it to give them at the end of the event. And, man, I, I've been involved with so many events where the promoter didn't have the money, lost his butt, and was gone. He, he Nowhere to be found at the end of the events. I've seen multiple events do that. Hmm. So what these larger names like who we were talking about, they require that, that upfront guarantee. And so they want that, and then you, the promoter would then sell the tickets to their autographs. So that's how they're getting their money back. So you would give the guest or the celebrity guest the money up front, and then when you start selling tickets for their autographs, you get that money back. And then after that, you would split 50-50 with the overage of the, of the 60K. Now, I found that very interesting when I found that out. Because like I said, for me on the outside looking in, 
I just assume that, you know, if you got one of the big names there in a line out the door that they're, they're you know, and I'm sitting there doing the math. I'm like, man, there's 150 mm-hmm. people in this line and they're there for three days and they probably made, you know, $200,000 this weekend, you know. And some of them, some of them can, you know, but still you're looking at spending, you know, one person comes in, they're spending about 30, at least 30 bucks for a ticket to get in. And then they're spending for, for the large name celebrities, which is one reason it's kind of hard to have in Lexington because, man, a lot of people around here don't have the kind of money that they have in the big cities. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting people from Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky and West Virginia and, and, you know, they don't have $60, $75 to spend on an autograph. So you're not going to get some of the bigger names like that. Now with Lexington Comic and Toy Con, you know, he draws in and Jerry's a good guy. He's a friend of ours. You know, he draws in a, people from all over the world right. to come to his event because he, he brings in some of those, you know, A-list celebrities as well. It's just a gamble. Every time you bring somebody in, you know, you're hoping that if you bring in a, a $60,000 guaranteed guest that you're selling enough tickets to cover that. Because if they're not selling the autographs there, then you got to pay them at the end of it. How do you guys handle typically some of the guests that cancel last minute for – Various oh, reasons. Man. Like, I know, like, in uh, this past Scarefest, there was, I know uh, Linda Blair had to cancel, you know, and that's a pretty big name in the horror genre, but she mm-hmm. had to cancel right at the end. Do you do you have situations like that to where uh, if a big name like that cancels, people start complaining and stuff? I mean, how do you handle something that's just completely out of your control like that? It's, it's unbelievable. And it, it's, it's man, I remember one year with Scarefest, we had Malcolm McDowell, Clive Barker, and someone else canceled all within like two weeks. And then maybe that was probably three weeks before the event. And there's just nothing you can do about it. You just take a hit and you're going to take all the abuse from everybody who's bought a ticket for it. What I do if somebody has to cancel an event with creepy talent and like I know all these people personally that I work with. And if somebody has to film or something, say the Mountain Monsters, they're filming. Well, they just got caught in all filming right now, but they're, they're filming another season right now. And so they have an event scheduled. We, next weekend, we were supposed to be in Estes Park for Colorado or for Estes Park Bigfoot Days. And there was a chance that the, the Mountain Monster guys were going to be filming. In that case, if they're filming, then it's my job as a promoter to try to find somebody comparable for that event. So if, say, if Linda Blair had canceled, then her agent should have been able to get somebody pretty easily for the promoter. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, you know, and, and you've already lost, if you don't buy insurance on your flights and uh, there's just so much that goes in behind it, but I mean, it's, it's a chance to lose a lot of money whenever somebody cancels like that. You know, generally you can get the guests like Linda or whoever has to cancel. We'll put out a statement saying why they had to cancel or whatnot. And, and that helps smooth things over with the fans, but you're still going to take your beatings with it. I think a lot of people, not a lot, that's probably a Wrong, but you're always going to have a group of people that think, "Oh, they were probably never coming. They just said that to sell tickets," you know, and yeah, that's not I mean, the case. That obviously, a lot. But. It happens more than you think. <laughs> you may, you may, you may realize it, but it does happen a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that event was, is going to be out in Estes Park. That's where uh, the Stanley Hotel is, right? It is, yeah. One of my favorite places, man. I love it out there. We've rented the Stanley out a couple of times for the Nick Groff tours. I've stayed there many, many times. I love it. We've hooked up with the town itself to do the Bigfoot Festival, and so I, I sponsor all their guests uh, that are coming out there. Unfortunately, this year it's got canceled due to the pandemic, but you know we'll be out there next year for sure. Let me touch on something real quick, and then I want to get into some of your paranormal experiences, because like you literally mm-hmm. have done everything in this business, it seems like. So... Right now, though, you were telling me that a lot of the ghost hunter shows, when they had episodes that they wanted to find a place in Kentucky, you were kind of instrumental on getting some of those places booked for the shows to be able to come in. 
and that you you've actually been on some of these shows. I know you've been on a couple of of the Ghost Adventures and some other stuff. So tell me a little bit about how that happened, how you became the the medium, so to speak, to be able to set these things up. Sure, yeah. I mean, and it all goes back to the the old days, like when we first started Scarefest, whenever I would start hooking up with the, the celebrities that would come in, you know, I'd develop relationships with them. You know, we all become friends. And so when they were when they needed somewhere to film, they knew that I I had started Shock, which is Spirit Hunters of Central Kentucky back gosh, man, I don't even know, probably twenty years ago. And so they knew that I had a relationship with haunted locations around here and I was actively, you know, boots on the ground doing investigations all over Kentucky. And so I had the knowledge of these places and I knew what would be good television for them and what would not. And so, you know, ghost adventures guys or ghost hunters guys or, you know, whoever else would call me up, their production companies would and say, Hey, what do you got going on here or there or whatnot? And so whenever they would come in, you know, I would always do a little, uh, a little segment for them or whatnot, talking about the, the locations and what we had experiences with. So it was, it was fun to work with them all. And with the, the Ghost Adventures guys, you know, uh, hanging out with Nick and, and Zach and Aaron at the time and Billy and Jay, and it was all good times. I mean, we would always have, have a great time together. I think I was telling you a little earlier, and that, that stuff was legitimate. Those guys that they, man, they did everything that they could to, to host a real investigation and, and they were truly into it while they're filming. You know, I've never, never known them to fake any evidence whatsoever. And it's just a, it was a great time, great time being able to be a part of all that. You were telling me earlier, you've got some cool stories that, that involve uh, Aurora. So I thought I'd ask you to, to chime in on some of those for me. Well, it's up near that area, I believe. Uh, it's just outside of Charleston. It's in Ashmore, Illinois. One of my good friends, uh, Robin Terry, owns Ashmore States. And being hands down, I've been fortunate enough to travel all over the country to the most haunted locations out there. And hands down, Ashmore Estates is the most active, most scariest location I've been to. We love doing Nick Groff tour events there. We've always gotten a ton of, of evidence, uh, video evidence. There's still, there's still video evidence from, I think our second tour event there that I've not released, that we've not released at all. And I, I've legitimately caught an apparition walking out of a door and I had maybe 15 people behind me. Got it on video camera. It turned around, walked back in. I was videoing Nick walking back down the hallway. I told him to go in the door that it went into. The apparition kind of reformed in the middle of the hallway and then followed him back in. And I, I truly have all that on video. Man, it was just the wildest thing. And, and I couldn't believe that it was happening. And the people behind me were, you know, they were in tore up over it as well because they were watching it as well with me. And I, like, I didn't want to take my eyes off of it. And so Nick was giving me a hard time because like, I was so tore up, like my eyes were watering. He was like, you were crying. You were crying. I was like, I wasn't crying. I was like, I was just so tore up. I was excited. My eyes were watering. And, uh, but it was just, man, it was just the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I got it on video. So that was the most, the most uh, cool thing about it. We've gotten a tricycle rolling on its own in there. Gosh, uh, countless, countless EVPs. Uh, people getting sick, people getting their hair pulled, stuff moving. Our, I think this was our very first event there. I had just bought a brand new PA system for the Q&A portion of the event, and I was upstairs by myself, I think on the third floor, wrapping everything up. I was wiping everything down, wrapping everything up. And I'd set my microphones up on a scaffolding between bars so they're not rolling off, and I turn around to get the next cable to roll it up and, and wipe it off, and one of the microphones took off flying across the room and probably fell 20 feet from where I had it sitting. At that point, I, I knew that Ashmore's estates was a real, was a real deal. I started, <laughs> she gives me a hard time, but I started hollering for Jennifer 
I was like, Jennifer, get up here and, you know, my wife, because I didn't want to be up there by myself anymore, you know, and it's just kind of, it's kind of funny. And she gives me a hard time. And, <laughs> but, man, it, it's, if you get the chance to go to Ashmore, you've got to go. It is, it's hands down my, my favorite place to be. Yeah, I think I misspoke and said Aurora, Illinois, which I don't know why. I meant Ashmore, because that's actually where the uh, benefits oh, are going to okay, be cool. inside the Ashmore states. Awesome. Man, you're going to love it. It's, I mean, and Robin, like I said, Robin is a, he's awesome. I mean, he's an awesome dude. Are you going to stay there on the, on site? Cause he's got like these little bunk houses and stuff you can stay at. I have no clue. I literally just found out about this a couple of days ago and, and found out it was going to be the, the, all the proceeds were going to go to Autism Speaks and my granddaughter has autism and I just said, Hey, sign me up. So awesome. Okay. Yeah. Robin, um, Robin's a great guy, man. You'll love it. He, he's a, he's, he's hands down a, an amazing, one of the amazing location owners in the field. Because some of these guys are very hard to deal with. <laughs> That's a story for another uh, another show, I think. Yeah, trust me, I'll, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take Ashmore out because you told me you absolutely love that place. Give me your next couple of places that that you've had the best luck with with investigating, and uh, your your couple of favorites that if you just had to say, hey. Here's the top three for people who want to go experience something. I think Mashmore States is, is definitely number one. It, it's a different feeling, man. I, it's very, very, very haunted, but it's it's just got different feelings and emotions there. But Pinhurst State School is amazing. I loved it there. He's a cool guy. Have you been there before? Yeah, we went there this past October. Yeah, Pinhurst is, a, is an awesome place. The Missouri State Penitentiary is, is a great place. I was Rock was thrown and hit me in the side of the head in solitary, and I was the only person down there. Yeah, that was kind of a wild experience. Oh gosh, man! Uh, Liska Axe House. If you're ever in that area, you got to check out the Axe Murder House in Iowa, and then not far from there is Malvern Manor. Yeah, you know that's a that's a cool place. Our plans for next year is to hit all these places west that we've never been to. Never been to the mm-hmm. to the Stanley. Never been to the Valeska House. And there's so many different places out west that we want to go. Winchester, but all these places were that's our goal is to just travel a little bit next year to the west and then just take and a couple do, of weeks yeah. and hit all those places the, the stanley hotel it's just park in the stanley hotel is it's, it's definitely one of my favorites i've it's not the most active places that i've been to but as far as as far as loving it there man like when you're at the stanley it's true you don't want to leave it's it's just it's got that feeling and i love it um we stayed in 401, uh, 217. You know, I've spent the night in all those rooms and never had one experience. I had more experiences at the Stanley in the concert hall than I did anywhere. You know, and now Jennifer, she had some experiences in 401, but nothing happens to us in 217 at all. We spent multiple nights there. The Queen Mary, you know, I've stayed in B340. Nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> You're like me. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, I love it, you know? But it's just, yeah, I want to have those experiences. Like I said, we, I spent the night in the Sally House. I want, to, I want to be able to say, hey, when I stayed in B340 on Queen Mary, this happened. Yeah, or the Sally House. Or <laughs> Now, I did have the opportunity to stay in the Axe House, and I, I wouldn't do it. I was like, nah, I don't think I'm going to do this. So, in <laughs> um, Villisca, you know, that was one of those I was kind of, uh, the Washoe Club, man, out in Virginia City. I love Virginia City. It's it's crazy haunted out there. Also on the um, list for the West trip. Yeah. The USS Hornet out in Alameda. We did that out there. The aircraft carrier. It was really cool. And there were some wild things that happened there. Gosh, where else have we been? I tell you, a place that I really, really liked was in Texas. It was Magnolia Hotel. It, it hasn't received a lot of attention, but man, when we were there, there was a lot of stuff going on with it. Is that in Houston? It's outside of Houston. It's in Magnolia. Or no, Seguin. I'm sorry, Seguin, Texas. It was a cool place. Russian Mountain Penitentiary. We're going to be back down there uh, this year with the Nick Roth tour. 
it's in Tennessee. It's an awesome location. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, guys, you, you have to you have to come down and join us if you want to. Feel yeah, free to come yep. down and hang out with us when we're doing that one because it's not very far from from Lexington, Kentucky at all. I want to go to South Pittsburgh, but my understanding is that the new owners kind of cut all that out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of conversations with him, and I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not going to plan on being there anytime soon. So. <laughs> I think I think he wants to change the reputation of the place. So, yeah. understandable. Have you? I'm sure you've been. It's in uh, Western Kentucky at the Octagon Hall. That's a great place. I haven't been. I know it's uh, it's right near Bowling Green, and I haven't been. It was on my list coming back from Nashville last year, mm-hmm. and we got tied up, spent a little bit too much time in Nashville and didn't have the time to swing by, but it's on my list to go to this year. Yeah, it's a great place. Nick's doing a solo series called Nick Groff Investigates. Gosh, he's went all over the place. He came and hung out with us for a little while and then did some air, you know, some local kind of places. So he did, he did Octagon. He did Mackey's again. He did, uh, the Mason's Lodge there in E Town. So yeah, he spent some time around here. We need to get that, him out to the gates of hell in E Town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've never been there actually. Really um, cool place, man. We, is it really? I'll have to check it out. We did a, we did a live event in Louisville and had Bishop James Long there. Mm-hmm. And man, he went on a torrent. Somebody asked about the gates of hell and he went on a, 15-minute torrent about why not to go there and was very adamant uh, about not going to the gates really? of hell and what he's experienced there. So, yeah, it's kind of a cool, cool place. I've been there a long yeah, time I'll ago. Yeah, check it out. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, let's stick with Kentucky for a minute. Out of the places you've been to in Kentucky, you know, Waverly obviously has the reputation. Bobby Mackey's has the reputation. What place do you find is really the true paranormal hotspot in Kentucky? And give me a, a an underdog like an like an Octagon Hall that most people may not be aware of. That's a really active place. Man, gosh, I've been to so many. The the place in Lawrenceburg, the uh, the Anderson Hotel, which Jeff Aldridge and and myself and and Jennifer and. You know, Nick came down and filmed Paranormal Lockdown there. That place is a creepy place. We spent a lot of time there. I think they kind of shut down the investigation portions of that, but, you know, I'm, I, we spent a lot of time in there. But that, that's only going to kind of come up second to, I have a lot of tie-ins with Paraville, Kentucky, and the Paraville Battlefield. And I actually had Ghost Adventures out there a couple of times to film. The Dye House, the John Dye House, was a field hospital there, and it's still standing, and I've spent a lot of time in there. Man, that place was crazy. It, it really was. I wish that it could have gotten more airtime whenever they were filming there, and it didn't. But, man, the Purple Battlefield and the John Dye House there are, are legit. I mean, they really are. It's really cool. And I've never been to the Battlefield. Yeah. I We <laughs> just rode right past there last week going to Boonville, and, um, or, you know, out in that vicinity, it's, but I, I've never actually been there. Man, it's, I was fortunate enough. What Jennifer and I used to do is we would do all the, the paranormal tours there, and I would, and I would do overnights. I would host overnights with people and I would donate all that back to the battlefield. You know, I did it just free of charge and I would give it all back to the battlefield just for their restoration purposes. And in return, you know, people are like, Oh, you're stupid for doing that. No, in return, I got a key to every building on the battlefield. And so I could literally go into any building anytime I wanted to and investigate. And so that's what I wanted, you know, I mean, we spent some time there in the, in the John Dye house and I was, I was scared of that place. I, I, I wouldn't want to be up there by myself and it's still got blood stains on the floor. I mean, it's it's legit. It's it's a scary place. Well, here's what I want to end on, Lee, because people who aren't from the area, they may not understand that you have wild man days. Mm-hmm. Tell the audience a little bit about what that has to do with. Obviously, it's probably not going to happen this year with everything that's going on. But tell people about the wild man and how all that the 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 story and the legend behind that. So, wild man days came from. Uh, this was I live in Mercer County, Kentucky, which is kind of central Kentucky. 
And Jeff Waldridge, my partner and everything, lives in Lawrenceburg, which is in Anderson County. And Anderson County is the highest concentrated sighting of Bigfoot than any other county in the state of Kentucky. It's gone back to, like, early 1700s. And Kentucky has a huge history of Bigfoot. Daniel Boone wrote about killing a 10-foot-tall hairy creature, hairy man-creature, in his autobiography that he called the Yahoo. A lot of people don't even know that. Now, Daniel Boone was known to tell a few tales as well, but... (laughs) In Anderson County, dating back into the 1700s, the locals here would, would they called this creature Howdy, H-O-W-D-Y, Howdy. And the reason that this creature got this name is because whenever they would see it out in the, in the wild, it would raise his hand like it was telling them hi. And so they called it Howdy. And it, that, that story has carried on throughout the centuries. Anderson County has the reputation of being, you know, like the, the home of Bigfoot in Kentucky. And he was, you know, kind of created the wild man of Kentucky. And then so that's kind of how we got into the wild man days. And so we wanted to start up a street festival in celebration of Bigfoot. This was going to be our third year. Unfortunately, we're, we're probably going to have to cancel that. It was supposed to be next month. But, you know, our first year with this, we brought in Bobo and Cliff. And Bobo's come back for two years in a row now. You know, we would have 5,000 plus people show up in celebration, eating lots of food. We have carnival rides. It's just a, you know, a good town festival with a Bigfoot flair. And so it was a, it was a good time, man. I can't wait to, to get everything started back up, start planning on it for next year. If this year does go ahead and get canceled. Lee, it was awesome having you on, buddy. I appreciate you taking some time with us and, and, and giving us some ins and outs on, on how some of these conventions work. Uh, I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff. And I'm sure most of the listeners had at least some curiosities and that they'll have the answers to now. So we appreciate that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I'm glad you, glad you had me on. It's been fun. It's no problem. How can people keep up with you on social media and find out where some of these events are and, and keep up with the, the Nick Groff Tour? All social medias, you got Nick Groff Tour, nickgrofftour.com, creepy people management, creepytalent.com, wildmandays.com. I mean, any, anything.com or you can Google search. I'm personally on all the social medias and, and you know, I, I love being active and I promote everything that I can as well. So, you know, Lee Kirkland or Shock Big Lee is a, is a good way to reach me. But yeah, just, Every social media or, or Google, whatever you want to do. All right, brother. I appreciate it, and we'll see you soon, probably in August. Sounds good, brother. So, see, wasn't that some fascinating information? It was very, very good stuff. He has such an exciting life. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous. It is cool to know that he just, like, travels. He gets to travel with Nick to all these different exciting yeah. places. and yeah that's Yeah, that's good for him. So, anyways, guys, next week we got another fun one for you, so you'll like this one. And uh, hope you enjoyed the one we just presented for you. So, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Love you.